Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is saying Russia is on a deliberate campaign to kill and commit atrocities. And General Mark Milley testifies that the potential for international conflict is increasing. It was 2008 all over again in the White House today, at least at first glance. President Joe Biden's one-time boss, former President Barack Obama, paid a visit. The Colorado legislature and the governor have agreed on a way to get around federal challenges to state abortion laws, even if the Supreme Court were to overturn Roe v. Wade. A group of mothers is calling attention to black-on-black -black crime. They're working towards solutions to end violence within communities. A new study in a top U.S. medical journal finds evidence of prisoners in China being executed by having their organs removed. Researchers say Chinese medical papers reveal violations of dead donor rule, breaking the most basic medical oath. top U.S. military officer told senators today that the United States is now facing two global powers, Russia and China. He also said the potential for a global conflict is increasing. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is threatening to undermine not only European peace and stability, but global peace and stability that my parents and a generation of Americans fought so hard to defend. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin appeared before the House Armed Services Committee in their first testimony before Congress since Russia invaded Ukraine. General Milley says the war is an assault on the democratic institutions and the rules-based international order that has prevented a great power war since World War II. We are now facing two global powers, China and Russia, each with significant military capabilities, both who intend to fundamentally change the rules-based current global order. We are entering a world that is becoming more unstable, and the potential for significant international conflict between great powers is increasing, not decreasing. Representative Alyssa Slotkin brought attention to the fact that our Department of Defense is still dependent on China for some supplies. DOD is doing its part. Uh, this is especially important to us as we look at uh, components of our, our critical weapon systems that use uh, uh, microchips, that, uh, that use uh, critical materials, strategic materials. Uh, we want to make sure that, that we are not vulnerable. Congressman Mike Rogers pressed both officials on having permanent bases in Eastern Europe to help deter Russia. General Milley says he supports the idea of having permanent bases there, but he wants to have troops rotating through those bases instead of having them as permanent duty stations. Jason Perry, NTD News. World leaders have been warning China not to get too close to Russia following the invasion of Ukraine. And the Biden administration, along with the rest of the world, is having to deal with an increasingly tense situation as the war continues. Meanwhile, the relationship between Russia and China seems to have strengthened significantly this year. I spoke to political science professor Juscelino Colares from Case Western Reserve University to learn more about these global dynamics. Professor Colares, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And in your opinion, has the Biden administration inadvertently driven China closer to Russia through its foreign policies? I think uh, inadvertently, yes. And uh, uh, also, uh, the way things played out in Afghanistan also was spelled weakness on the part of the United States in terms of its leadership. President Putin saw in, in weakness an opportunity to actually take on uh, uh, Ukraine. Uh, uh, Putin knows very well, President Putin knows very well that uh, the Europeans will continue to remain dependent on Russia, uh, oil and natural gas for a while, and that America, because of its energy policy, cannot really supply Europe and won't be able to for a good bit of time. So all the circumstances were uh, perfect. And what about over the past century? Has the U.S. been driving the two nations closer somehow? Uh, not really, because uh, since President Nixon uh, uh, brought the United States uh, closer to China, opened uh, trade relations with China, 
for a long period since 1949, China, uh, the Chinese Civil, Civil War, China was uh, uh, non-aligned, uh, did not have much commercial relationships. And the idea of President Nixon was to bring China closer to the United States to impede the two from coordinating, because those two are big countries, not only geographically, but in terms of population and uh, you know uh, nuclear prowess. And that policy basically was in place for uh, uh, since the 1970s. Of course, as China became bigger and basically did not become the more capitalist economy that the, the United States expected it to become, it actually became with with uh, uh, with the under the leadership of, of uh, Xi Jinping became even almost bellicose with the United States. It would be a good opportunity for the United States to get closer than to Russia. But of course, uh, President Trump tried that, and he was sabotaged in every possible way. So uh, the idea in Washington seems to keep the United States from addressing the People's Republic of China problem and while keeping the United States busy with Russia. And of course, domestic politics, energy politics, and the debacle in Afghanistan all played a role in, in terms of getting the world where it is right now. So what could happen if Russia and China's relationship continues to strengthen? Well, uh, first of all, uh, it will, it, they are rivals, right? China has interests in uh, eastern Siberia, which is very rich in oil and natural gas. And China, again, is a very energy-dependent uh, country. Uh, uh, it, it, it needs, it only produces about 20 to 22% of the, the oil and gas it needs. So, uh, uh, so it looks into Russia as a as a as a as a, as a big potential supplier, as it looks also towards Iran and Saudi Arabia. So it wants to diversify its risk. On the part of Russia, Russia knows that a very powerful China uh, and a growing China uh, poses a danger in terms of its interests up north, in terms of both. Uh, it's interesting in Kazakhstan, which also has natural, uh, uh, which also has oil and natural gas, and which is also a, pa a pathway to the uh, one road, uh, one belt system or policy that China pursues. And it knows that if Ukraine comes into the sphere of influence of China, then uh, you know Russia cannot play the role of spoiler, and China will only grow more. So they have rivalries, but for the moment. Of course, as Russia is exposed to enormous sanctions, uh, they are, uh, uh, in a way, uh, their interests converge. And the longer the conflict uh, uh, stays in place, the longer the, the conflict lasts, the better for China the, uh, it is, because Russia is going to be very damaged economically and therefore more dependent and perhaps even servile to, chi uh, to Chinese Communist Party's interests. So what could the U.S. do to counter the alliance? Well, the obvious answer would be, before the invasion took place, obviously, that was the moment to put pressure on President Zelensky to actually uh, 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 declare uh, Ukraine uh, a neutral country, declare, make a symbolic, or at least for a period, that the, uh, Ukraine would not join NATO. That's exactly the opposite of what happened. And I suppose that this is the, co the, the consensus in Washington, the establishment in Washington that so many people talk about. They don't want the United States to get closer to Russia, because the moment that happens, then the United States has to deal with the China problem, the, Chinese, the People's Republic of China, led by a ruthless Chinese Communist Party. President Trump tried, but uh, he wasn't politically able to do it because of the, you know, the false Russia scandal. Because there are a lot of interests. Uh, Washington has uh, a, a lot of uh, lobbyists that live and thrive on exporting American jobs to China, on uh, uh, making sure that the United States and China do not decouple. Because a lot of investment has been made in China. A lot of money has been made, in, is, has been made by doing business with China. And the crowd in Washington is paid, the lobbying crowd is paid not to change anything. They don't want to change the status quo, even as China becomes uh, uh, more powerful and challenges the United States everywhere in the globe. But right now, because of the sanctions, uh, uh, the well is very much poisoned. And it's very difficult 
the best way the United States can then to answer your question would be to produce more oil and to produce more gas, supply Europe, show strength in energy so that Russia basically sees the United States, begins seeing the United States not only as a competitor militarily, geopolitically, but as a competitor in gas. So, and then as China grows, you know, wait for Russia to make the move towards the United States and, uh, uh, you know, suspend uh, uh, sanctions once the conflict is over. But uh, I very much doubt that this is going to happen. Professor Kolaris, thank you so much for joining us. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is working with other countries to document reports of Russian war crimes in Ukraine. NTD's Jason Perry spoke with a retired Army general to get his analysis of the current situation. What we've seen in, uh, in Bucha is not the random act of a rogue unit. It's a deliberate campaign uh, to kill, to torture, uh, to rape, uh, to commit atrocities. Uh, the reports are more than credible. The evidence is there for the, uh, the world to see. Meanwhile, Russian officials are saying the footage of dead bodies in Bucha is fake, and it was staged. NTD asked a retired U.S. Army lieutenant general about this very issue. Do you think um, Russia has any validity in their claims that, that this is fake? Zero. Not, not one shred. This, this is typical Russian uh, behavior. They've done it for centuries. Uh, they've uh, smashed cities, uh, murdered civilians. Uh, Stalin, Peter the Great, they would all be very proud of what they've seen. They would recognize it immediately. Um, th this is who they are. And, and we've been so naive and foolish to... Uh, think that you could somehow negotiate with people like this. Um, not at all. He says there is still hope for the port city of Mariupol, where Russian forces have began to focus their attacks. I think that we have a window, that's we the West, have a window of about three weeks where we can help Ukraine get them what they need to be able to smash Russian forces that are wanting to reposition and focus on Mariupol. Uh, but we've got to get them now while they're, while they're backpedaling, if you will. Take advantage of their disorganization. He explains that some of the Russian forces haven't been using secure lines of communication while in combat. Most of these Russian generals that are getting killed is because they're talking on cell phones. All right? I mean, it's ridiculous. But that's, a, that's an indicator of their lack of professionalism, but also the lack of awareness of the, uh, of the danger of talking on an unsecure network. The general says in Russia, May 9th is celebrated as Victory Day, marking the end of World War II. So they'll want to get Mariupol now, so they'll have something to celebrate when that day comes. Jason Perry, NTD News. Today, former President Barack Obama made an appearance at the White House for the first time in more than five years. The visit was to celebrate the 12th anniversary of his signature Affordable Care Act. We hear more from NTD's Chenny Wu. Thank you, Vice President Biden, Vice President. <laughs> that was a joke. Obama embraced his former number two at the White House Tuesday on the 12th anniversary of his signature Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. President Biden said it feels like the good old days alongside his one-time boss, whose return to the East Room resembled a reunion of his top allies, many of whom are now serving in Biden's cabinet or in Congress. Biden is looking to expand Obamacare, which was signed into law in 2010. In a moment, I'm going to sign an executive order building on one of those that I signed last year. The executive order would close the so-called family glitch in the Affordable Care Act, which prohibits family members from enrolling in marketplace plans with lower premiums and cost sharing because one member of the family qualifies for affordable employer coverage. The Biden administration believes fixing the glitch will help 20,000 uninsured people gain coverage. The bottom line is this. The Affordable Care Act is stronger now than it has ever been. This is Obama's first visit to the White House since he left office in 2017. Chenny Wu, NTD News. Democrats on the House Oversight and Reform Committee today denied a motion to subpoena Hunter Biden. Republican Congressman Andy Biggs requested Biden as a witness at the committee's hearing on electrifying U.S. Postal Service vehicles. Biggs said he made the motion to subpoena the president's son because of what he called his invaluable expertise in cobalt mining. 
The congressman reasoned Hunter sold a U.S. cobalt mine to a Chinese company. Cobalt is necessary for electric car production. This is the latest attempt from Republicans to, quote, hold Hunter accountable for shady business dealings. The GOP members on the committee said in a tweet that the dealings make the U.S. more dependent on China for renewable energy. According to a November 2021 report in the New York Times, Hunter was part owner of a venture involved in the $3.8 billion purchase by a Chinese conglomerate of one of the world's largest cobalt deposits. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is under scrutiny. A month-long sweeping review of the agency is set to begin next week. That news comes the same day as the announcement of a bipartisan plan for COVID-19 relief. That funding bill would not send any money to the CDC directly. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is used to scrutinizing science. Now the agency itself is under the microscope. Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky says the Department of Health will conduct a sweeping review starting next Monday. In a memo to staff, Walensky says it's to improve how the agency communicates with the public and consider a restructuring. That news comes the same day as a bipartisan deal. Senator Mitt Romney helped negotiate for his chamber. It's for $10 billion of COVID relief money. The measure would fund therapeutics like oral antiviral pills, and it would support vaccines, testing, and research. What it would not do is send money directly to the CDC. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he wants to vote on the measure this week. On COVID, very briefly, over the last few days, my Democratic colleagues and I continued talks with Senator Romney and Republicans, working all hours of the night and into the weekend. This is clearly a huge uh, focus for the president um, because of the dire need we have at this moment to get this funding through. The White House says it would like more money in the plan. Even as we're very encouraged by the progress, we're going to need more because our objective here is to make sure we can have funding for antivirals, the, the vaccines needed for people for, for many uh, months to come. As you pay more for gas, you may ask why. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill will question oil and gas companies this week to try to find answers. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with a look at the two very different lines of questioning we'll hear from Republicans and Democrats. The pain at the pump is an issue that both parties do acknowledge and say that they're eager to solve, but what's causing these price hikes anyways? Here on Capitol Hill, the answer to that question largely depends on who you ask. As we've heard from President Biden and Democrats over the past couple of weeks, they've referred to it as Putin's price hike, and they're also pinning some of that blame on oil and gas producers. Here's Senate Leader Chuck Schumer on the Senate floor today explaining why Democrats are accusing these oil and gas companies of price gouging. Oil companies make more profit. And what do they use it for? Stock buybacks, which do nothing to improve the economy, improve workers, or help the consumer. And tomorrow, Democrats on the House side are planning to bring in oil and gas executives from companies like Chevron, Shell, Exxon, just to name a few, so they can drill them on this. The Democrat caucus chairman said that they're planning to send the message to the American people that they're on the case to tackle these high prices. They also plan to push these gas executives to take the initiative to lower the costs themselves. I think it's important for uh, American corporations, as we've seen others do, to show some patriotism that consumers and everyday Americans experience in the form of lower gas prices. But it's no surprise that Republicans have a very different line of questioning prepared tomorrow. I asked the Republican whip, Steve Scalise, what they're planning to, how they're planning to question these oil executives and the messaging that they're planning on pushing tomorrow. Here's his response. But we're gonna also be asking, some of the myths that are out there, like the 9,000 permits that President Biden wants to talk about. Uh, oil companies aren't sitting on those leases. In many cases, what we hear from them is that they can't produce the leases that they have because every federal regulatory agency is blocking their ability to actually go drill in America. So, so these are some of the questioning, um, the questions that we can expect to see tomorrow at that hearing, and we'll follow it, and hopefully it will shed some light on why we're seeing these higher gas prices and what lawmakers are prepared to do about it. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Backlash continues over the Biden administration's ending Title 42. 
What are some officials warning and what can we expect at the southern border as a result of the rules repeal? NTD's Iris Tao has more. And now it's about to get a whole lot worse, a whole lot worse. That's what Representative Andy Biggs is saying today about the upcoming influx of migrants at the southern border. The former Customs and Border Protection Commissioner is warning of the same. A total catastrophic, unmitigated crisis where we've handed over operational control of our borders to the cartels. The backlash follows an announcement that the Biden administration will end Title 42, a pandemic-era restriction that has blocked many migrants from entering the U.S. And three Republican states, Arizona, Missouri and Louisiana, are suing the Biden administration for ending Title 42, arguing that it was done unlawfully and will have a devastating impact on states. Given the Biden administration's catch and release policies, this surge will lead to an ever-increasing number of aliens being released into American communities. Some rights groups have called for an end to Title 42, calling its expulsions inhumane. But the former ICE director today defended it, saying, well, illegal immigration is down 83%. How many women didn't get raped? How many children didn't drown? How many Americans didn't die of overdose deaths? I think they should be considered. Meanwhile, several Democratic senators are also calling to oppose the end of Title 42. Big says more are recognizing how an insecure border will sway the upcoming midterm election. As Democrats look at it and they say they've got a real electoral challenge coming up in November, and they know that Americans, particularly in my state of Arizona, this is a top one or two issue. Reporting Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. Colorado Governor Jared Polis has signed the Reproductive Health Equity Act after the Democrat-controlled state legislature approved the legislation. The new law allows pregnant women to make their own decisions about whether to continue a pregnancy and give birth or have an abortion. It also gives all individuals the right to refuse contraception. Additionally, the legislation says that fetuses do not have independent or derivative rights in Colorado. Polis and other supporters say the legislation will help ensure women's rights and are upheld even if the Supreme Court strikes down Roe v. Wade. Coming up, New York State might soon try to get rid of all natural gas and fossil fuels in new buildings. They would be the first state to do so. And the Kansas Jayhawks are the victors of the National College Basketball Championship. They pulled off the largest comeback in the finals history. More in just a moment here on NTD News. At The Nation Speaks, we don't just scratch the surface. We want to go wide and deep. Our viewers come away with a much richer understanding of the issues of the day. We really make a big effort to bring on different voices onto the show. We don't just talk to experts and newsmakers, which of course are extremely important, but we also want to hear from the American people. So the people who are impacted by the policies and issues that we're talking about, because what they have to say is just as important to the national conversation. New York City Mayor Eric Adams keeps saying he wants to stop shootings in the city. And he was saying that 10 years ago as a state senator. Back then, he filmed a controversial video teaching parents how to look for guns and drugs in their kids' room. Now, he wants to remake that video. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the story. Protect the child that in 2011, then-state senator Eric Adams published this video showing parents how to find guns and drugs in their kids' room. A jury box of this nature, maybe a simple jury box, but if you look through it closely, you don't know what your child may be hiding. For instance, a gun could be hidden, a small caliber weapon could be hidden. What exactly is your child carrying in addition to a book? Something simple as a crack pipe, a used crack pipe. I've felt something bumpy, I will reach in, see what it is. This one could be hidden inside a pillow, a gun. The video caused some backlash when it was first published, which the mayor acknowledged on Monday. You know, I was ridiculed uh, over the campaign. Uh, people thought I was wrong, uh, but every day there are guns that are hid in uh, the rooms of our children. 
He added that he also got positive feedback from people who did try his advice and had success. He says he will now remake the video in order to teach parents valuable information. And we're going to start empowering parents with real information. We, we leave that out of the equation and believe that only law enforcement could do it, and that is just not true. Uh, parents can play a more active role if we empower them with information, and that is what we're going to start doing. He says the new video is part of a plan to help end shootings in the city. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. Gas and other fossil fuels might become a thing of the past in New York State buildings. Governor Kathy Hochul is expected to soon release the state budget, which some say will include a plan to ban fossil fuels in new buildings. According to a Reuters report, the governor will include the plan in this year's budget. In an address three months ago, she already talked about limiting greenhouse gas emissions for new constructions and reaching zero emissions no later than 2027. New York would become the first state in the U.S. to ban gas and fossil fuels in new constructions. We couldn't independently verify if the governor's really going to include the plan in her budget. Her office didn't get back to us before broadcast. In college basketball, the Kansas Jayhawks won the NCAA title for the fourth time last night. And it was no ordinary win, but the largest comeback in national championship history. The second half flurry erased a 16-point deficit and eventually overcame North Carolina 72-69. What looked like a lost cause turned into one of the sweetest wins ever for Kansas. North Carolina couldn't find an answer over the final 20 minutes. They missed their final four shots, including a desperation three at the buzzer. North Carolina's rookie coach would have been the first person to win the tournament in his first full year as head coach. Instead, it went to Kansas, whose title was three years in the making. They were 28-3 and three, and the odds on favorite heading into the March of 2020. Then the pandemic hit and stopped the season. Coming up, the latest on the Sacramento mass shooting that left several injured and six dead. Who have the police arrested? And a hot air balloon crashes in California. Fortunately, the person who posted the incident online said the riders are okay. NTD will have more when we return. Today, a second suspect was arrested in connection to the mass shootings in California's capital that killed six people. Police say he's the brother of the first suspect. NTD's Chenny Wu brings the update. A father of four, a best friend with a positive personality, a vivacious partygoer. The six people who were killed during a mass shooting in California's capital city were remembered by their friends and family as few details were released about the weekend violence. Penelope Scott, mother of one of the victims, said she was devastated when she was told her son had been fatally shot Sunday. You know, a lot of stress, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. I feel like I got a hole in my heart. Dozens of rapid-fire gunshots rang out early Sunday in the crowded streets of California's capital city, killing three women and three men and leaving 12 wounded. By Monday, an arrest, Dondre Martin, who was joined by his brother Smiley on Tuesday. Smiley Martin was arrested while hospitalized with serious injuries from the gunfire and will be jailed as soon as he's able to leave the hospital. Officials say they anticipate more arrests as police continue their investigation. The shooting occurred around 2 a.m. Sunday as bars were closing and patrons filled the streets near Sacramento. Police say more than 100 shell casings littered the scene. At this point, police think that all of this started because of a fight and that multiple people opened fire. This was the second mass shooting in Sacramento in the past five weeks. Chenny Wu, NTD News. And we have an update, a third arrest in the investigation of the Sacramento shooting. Police announced late today that the third suspect was taken into custody late Monday. For young black 15 to 24-year-olds in America, homicide is the leading cause of death by a wide margin. And it largely has to do with black-on-black -black crime. A group of mothers who've each lost a child to street violence is coming together to help heal and transform their communities from within. 
They spoke to the host of NTD's The Nation Speaks about what they're doing. Sylvia Bennett-Stone is the director of Voices of Black Mothers United, a project of the Woodson Center that addresses crime within black communities. Bennett Stone lost her daughter to street violence in 2004, and thousands of mothers like her are coming together to help address the problem. She says their project engages in advocacy and community intervention. The third is promoting positive policing. We 100% do not support the defund the police movement. Um, we believe that if we can work with the police, ourselves, Voices of Black Mothers United, um, then that will help the police do their job a little bit better. Mothers who are part of the project reach out to young men and women who are feeling hopeless, guide them, and promote individual responsibility. Bennett Stone says people are not discussing black-on-black -black crime. Many people in the black community, including children, lose their lives because they are caught in the crossfire of street violence. People don't want to talk about it. It's not the popular thing to talk about. It's so much easier to say um, a white cop killed this black person, and then you have someone to blame that doesn't relate to you. Zanita Henry is another mother who's lost her child to street violence. She says she's helping to unite the community because she doesn't want this to happen to others. With Operation Recovery, we are working with law enforcement, working with the leaders of the community to try and stop violence within the community by giving our youth positive alternatives and opportunities to be involved in so many different things that will elevate their mindset. Henry says she believes solutions to ending violence have to come from within the community. You can catch the full interview on The Nation Speaks with Cindy Drucker this Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on NTD. And California is once again extending its eviction moratorium. State officials say the extension is to give time for certain individuals to receive rental assistance payments. NTD's Daniel Hall has the story. California's eviction moratorium has been extended to June 30th. The extension comes as the state has been running behind on distributing renter relief funds. Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis, who is currently sitting in for Governor Gavin Newsom while he is away on vacation, signed the legislation into law on March 31st. The original extension was set to terminate at midnight on that day. In a statement, Kunalakis said California's nation-leading rent relief program has provided much-needed relief for more than 220,000 households across the state. The extension does not apply to all renters, though. People who applied for rental assistance before March 31st cannot be evicted. Rental assistance payouts are part of the state's $5.5 billion relief program for the CCP virus, also known as COVID-19. According to Newsom's office, the program will cover 100% of qualified tenants' late payments. As of March 29th, the state's housing agency says there are over 500,000 tenant applications but the state has served less than half of them. About $2.5 billion in funds are to be paid out with an average of $11,400 per applicant. The California Rental Housing Association wrote to the Senate in opposition, arguing that there is no need to extend the moratorium as the pandemic wanes. They wrote, any further extension to the statewide eviction moratorium will hurt housing providers who have continued to house tenants with no rental income or rent relief. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. Gun control is again the center of attention in California. One Bay Area city adopted a gun ownership fee earlier this year, but the city is now being sued for what some civic groups are calling an illegal tax. NTD's Cynthia Kai has more on the lawsuit. Three civic groups are suing the city of San Jose over a $25 fee on gun ownership. The city passed the law back in January and calls it an annual gun harm reduction fee. Gun owners will pay the fee to an organization being created by the San Jose city manager. The Silicon Valley Public Accountability Foundation, Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, and Silicon Valley Taxpayers Association filed the lawsuit in the Santa Clara Superior Court. The suit alleges violations of the First and Second Amendment and California Constitution. The group says gun owners are being forced to support an organization 
they may disagree with. Additionally, the law creates a new fee condition for gun ownership. Jonathan Fleming with the Silicon Valley Public Accountability Foundation said this is a tax because the government is forcing residents to pay money to a nonprofit corporation formed by the mayor in exchange for services provided to the community at large. San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo said in a statement that the city spent two years discussing with legal experts on how to create a constitutional and enforceable ordinance to reduce the risk of gun violence and gun harm in the community. In January, the National Association for Gun Rights filed a similar lawsuit asking for an injunction to stop the gun fee. A hearing on that case is scheduled for July 21st. Cynthia Kai, NTD News, California. The Los Angeles County Sheriff offered to have his department help clear homeless encampments from Hollywood streets. NTD's Eileen Ang gives us the details. According to the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, Sheriff Alex Villanueva is offering to have his deputies help clean the streets of Hollywood, which have been overrun in recent years by homeless encampments. The department wrote on Twitter Sunday, the Los Angeles County Sheriff has plans to make Hollywood feel safer, despite it not being LASD's patrol area. Villanueva told Fox 11, we're going to go invade the beach again Memorial Day all the way through Labor Day, just so we're sending that message that it is safe to vacation here for local residents. It is safe for tourists to make this a destination. The sheriff compared the idea to last summer's effort in Venice, where Villanueva led a walking tour on the boardwalk with deputies. They reached out to several homeless individuals to gauge their interest in receiving government-provided housing. Officials later cleared out a major homeless encampment in the area. Like Hollywood, Venice falls within the jurisdiction of the Los Angeles Police Department. A hot air balloon ride crashing in Southern California was caught on camera. The person who posted it to social media said the riders are okay. NTD's David Lamb brings us that video. In this video posted online by a user named NickTalk, he said his first hot air balloon experience was going great until the winds picked up. Here we go. Right. Hang on. Just hang on. Hang on. The hot air balloon crashes onto an open field and continues to be dragged at a nearly 45 degree angle or steeper. A person in charge beckons everyone to hang on. Reports say the crash happened in the city of Paris in Riverside County. According to a study published in the National Library of Medicine, from the years 2000 to 2011, there have been 78 reports of crashes involving hot air balloon tours. 81% of them occurred during landing. This video was posted in early April, and according to the post, Nick said, we are all okay. Elon Musk has joined Twitter's board of directors. It comes a day after the Tesla CEO disclosed a 9.2% stake in the social media company, worth about $3 billion. Regulatory filings show Musk will serve as a Class II director with a term that expires in 2024. Under the arrangement, Musk will not own or control more than 14.9% of Twitter shares. Twitter CEO said Musk is both a passionate believer and intense critic of the service and added he will make the boardroom stronger in the long term. Musk has called Twitter a kind of public square and has criticized the company over free speech. Twitter has been accused of suppressing conservative viewpoints, allegations the company denies. Musk says if the company fails to adhere to the principles of free speech, this would undermine democracy. And Elon Musk's net worth is now nearly $300 billion. That's according to Forbes' real-time rankings of the world's wealthiest people. The Tesla and SpaceX CEO has a more than $100 billion lead over second place Jeff Bezos. Bezos founded Amazon and owns Musk's space rival Blue Origin. And Musk is worth more than double the wealth of Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett. To put it in perspective, Musk is worth only about $35 billion less than the gross domestic product of his native South Africa. And his net worth exceeds the GDPs of Colombia, Finland, Pakistan, Chile, and Portugal. Touted as the biggest Bitcoin conference of the year, Bitcoin Miami is starting tomorrow at the Miami Beach Convention Center. 
Nearly half, or 41% of crypto owners, first invested in digital assets in 2021. That's according to a new survey by U.S. crypto exchange Gemini. 2021 was a great year for cryptocurrencies because a lot of people uh, were still sitting at home uh, because of the pandemic. So this gave them a lot of you know, room for exploration. 20 countries were surveyed, with Brazil and Indonesia leading the pack. 41% of people in those countries owned crypto, compared to around just 20% of people in the U.S. and the U.K. owning crypto. So they are relying on cryptocurrencies to manage their funds. This means that they are their own banks. The biggest cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, hit an all-time high of $68,000 last November. Right now, it's trading around $46,000. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Coming up, the European Union proposes a fifth round of sanctions on Moscow. Russian energy is included for the first time. And a new study in a top U.S. medical journal finds evidence of prisoners in China being executed by having their organs removed. Researchers say Chinese medical papers reveal violations of the dead donor rule, breaking the most basic medical oath. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guide. What did today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Over the last decade, the Chinese regime has been repeatedly and credibly accused of killing Falun Gong practitioners and other prisoners of conscience for their organs. Now, a new study published in one of the top U.S. medical journals can be added to the mounting body of evidence. Here are the details. A paper published in the American Journal of Transplantation on Monday lays out evidence that doctors in China removed organs for transplants from living humans and killed them in the process. According to the study, the authors reviewed thousands of Chinese medical publications written by transplant surgeons on heart and lung procurement. They identified 71 papers published between 1980 and 2015 in which physicians describe removing an organ from a donor without first performing a required test to establish brain death. The report states that declaration of brain death is a standard requirement before removing organs from a donor, which in these cases wasn't done. The study also notes that Chinese doctors ceased publishing such papers after 2015. In addition, the report found other irregular practices which indicate the surgeon's subjects were still alive throughout the procedure. Research co-author Dr. Jacob Levy says this shows, in the words of the physicians themselves, that they prioritized organ procurement over adhering to the most basic medical oath, first do no harm. The report also points to the unusually short wait times for organs in China as further evidence that organs are removed from live victims. The study builds on mounting research from groups like the China Tribunal, an independent tribunal that determined in 2019 that Beijing was forcibly harvesting organs from prisoners of conscience. The tribunal further stated that Falun Gong practitioners have been one and probably the main source of organ supply. Uyghur Muslims were also identified as victims of the practice. China this week made the biggest purchase of U.S. corn since May 2021. Why now? NTD's Don Ma has the details. Beijing bought about 1 million tons of U.S. corn, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I talked to Sam Hudson. He is with consulting firm Corn Belt Marketing. He says the Ukraine war could be affecting China's supply chain for corn. 
there's a lot of speculation that they are going to need to fill uh, some of this uh, supply and demand that we typically see out of the Black Sea region. Uh, with the Ukrainian ports shut down uh, currently, it's going to create a delay for countries like Egypt and a lot of countries around the world that would typically buy grain, including China. China is not known to be a major importer of corn. It produces more than 200 million tons, but only imports about 26 million tons. Hudson says it could also be possible that China is preemptively buying in case the U.S. has corn issues. The U.S. Department of Agriculture says American farmers are expected to plant less corn this year. A lot of people think that uh, with that low acreage number, China may be stepping in here uh, preemptively just in case we get into a weather problem this spring in order to fill some of those other needs that uh, they may not otherwise be able to, to get. Could this recent large purchase also signal that China is facing supply issues at home? They were advertising very high corn stocks for several years ago, uh, and a lot of those corn stocks went bad uh, in storage, and, and it turns out they don't have quite as much sitting around. So they've actually got a little, lot, quite a lot less on the books compared to what they even had last year. But there was a lot of rumors about floods there last year. You know, China wastes at least 38 million tons of grain every year. That's due to poor storage and transport methods and excessive processing. Other than food, corn in China is used for a number of things. It's used for livestock feed. China is expanding its pig herd. It's also used for industrials in general. But Hudson says the good news is that China's purchase won't affect American consumers. Don Ma, NTD News. The European Union is proposing more sanctions. In fact, the fifth round so far. And for the first time, this round of sanctions involves Russian energy. NTD's Faye Quarter reports. We are proposing to take our sanctions a step further. The European Commission is proposing a fifth round of sanctions to cut even deeper into the Russian economy. And this round includes the first ever proposal to sanction Russian energy. We will impose an import ban on coal from Russia worth 4 billion euros per year. This will cut another important revenue source for Russia. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen says this is in response to what she calls Russia's atrocities. For the sanctions to go through, all 27 EU members have to approve. Russia's uh, exports of coal are a very small percentage of the budget that they uh, get from selling their, their hydrocarbons to uh, Europe. Isaac Orr is a policy fellow at the center of the American experiment. Orr says this move is mostly symbolic. Russia is going to be able to sell their, uh, their coal to other countries. India and China have already shown a willingness to buy Russian energy at a discount. Um, because of the sanctions that Europe is putting on. Europe bought by far the most Russian coal in 2020. Not using Russian coal could cost them an extra $22 billion. But the United States and Australia can immediately replace 70% of all the coal currently coming from Russia. Europe's real problem is oil and gas. They have made themselves dependent on Russian natural gas. If natural gas gets cut off, Europe will suffer more. They'll suffer higher prices. They'll suffer energy shortages. Sterling Burnett is a senior fellow at the Heartland Institute. Burnett says Europe has no short-term solutions because of their energy policies. Faye Quarter, NTD News. A British family of five were struck by a landslide while hiking in the Blue Mountains in Australia. Police have recovered the bodies of the father and a son, while the mother and another son have been critically injured. The only member of the family to walk out of the incident is the 15-year-old daughter. The mountain park has now been closed for review. NTD's Trevor Piper has more. A New South Wales police spokesperson confirmed that a British man and his nine-year-old son were killed in a landslide while bushwalking in the Blue Mountains in Australia on Monday. Two other members of the family were critically injured. Um, it's quite a tragic um, scene. We do have um, a girl that is walking out at the moment. Um, who is obviously clearly um, extremely distressed and we're trying to, uh, to talk to her in relation to obtaining some further information. Police said rescuers took the girl to be treated by paramedics for shock and she was then taken to hospital. The girl's mother and her 14-year-old brother were winched by a rescue helicopter and taken to hospital. Uh, patient, the patients have um, significant head uh, and abdominal injuries um, requiring um, uh, sedation and intubation prior to them being extricated by a winch. Police said the British family were on holiday. 
The walking path the family was on includes scenic overlooks and leads to Wentworth Falls. Rains have caused landslides in the area, but the path had recently been inspected and judged to be safe. The Premier of New South Wales State on Tuesday offered his condolences to the family's relatives. Too often. Um, so anything that we can do to keep people safe, um, we will. Obviously, Blue Mountains is a place where people love to go trekking. It's, it's one of the wonders of the world. Um, but when those tragedies occur, it would be remiss of any government not to act. Following the removal of the bodies, the New South Wales Department of Environment and Heritage announced the area was closed to the public until further notice and a comprehensive review would be undertaken. Trevor Piper, NTD News. Up next, an anonymous thief does a good deed. Find out more after the break on NTD News. After 20 years, a suspected thief did the right thing by returning 19th century notebooks to the Cambridge University Library. The notebooks were written by famous biologist Charles Darwin, best known for his theory of evolution. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story. No one knows who took Charles Darwin's notebooks from the Cambridge University Library back in late 2000, nor who returned them on March 9th. But whoever it was knew a thing or two about preservation. It is a mystery. They're in good condition. So they haven't been handled much. They've clearly been looked after with care wherever they have been. Um, and the important thing is that they have ended up back here. Charles Darwin was a 19th century English naturalist and biologist, best known for his contributions to evolutionary biology. Darwin's theory of evolution is widely considered a fundamental concept in science. He is credited with proposing that all species of life have descended from common ancestors. They're some of the most remarkable documents in the whole history of science. I honestly think, I mean, the, the theory of natural selection and evolution is probably the single most important theory in the life and earth environmental sciences. And this, these are the notebooks in which that theory was put together. Today, critics like Stephen Meyer, director of Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture, says Darwin's theory explains that living systems come from natural selections and random mutations. But Meyer proposes that significant features of living systems are best explained by a designing intelligence. For example, DNA contains digital codes that transmit instructions for building the molecules needed to bring life to living cells. While the Cambridge University Library is very happy to have Darwin's notebooks back, a police investigation is ongoing. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.